You're listening to audio from Redemption Church of Houston. We are a people who believe that Jesus has invited everyone into his radically inclusive, world-altering way of love. That means that when we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or in homes throughout the week, you are welcome here. Regardless of your social status, gender, race, sexual orientation, or politics, we want you to fully and actually join, grow, worship, and serve with us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you into his radical love just the way you are. And so do we. Good to see y'all this morning. Um, our text this morning is like really life-giving. It's encouraging. It's beautiful. It's good. But I also wonder how many of you are sitting there going, yes, I embody this text. I have found rest from my weariness in Jesus. Right? Which, which means, right, unless that's you. I don't, I'm, I'm assuming it's not you. <laughs> There's like the one person who's like, yeah, I'm good. Uh, in which case, the door is back there. We'll see you later. Just kidding. This is a safe place for everybody, even you. Um, where was I going with this? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, right, so this either means that Jesus is lying and he doesn't actually really give us rest from our weariness, or like he doesn't really actually mean rest, which uh, the Greek for rest is rest, right? Or something's going on with us. Right, and I, I want to be really careful here because we can get into like this weird world where all of a sudden we start to, to pursue religious practices, thinking that the practices themselves give us the life, when really it's Jesus who gives us life, and the practices are meant to help us sit in the presence of Jesus. And if I were to ask many of you this morning how you are doing I doubt that anyone in the room would be like, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just full and content and rested and just really living a life of like connection and joy and fullness and delight. I'm not weary. I'm content and happy and I'm just glad to be alive, right? Um, maybe there's someone in, like the super optimist in here is like, yes, that's me. But for most of us, right, we might be going through something where we're like, yeah, I'm pretty upset, and here's this thing that's happening. If it's just like a normal week for you, most of us are just coming in here going, man, I'm just tired. It was a busy week. I'm just so busy, and if I can just get through this week, next week will be a lot less busy. If I could get through this month, next month will be a lot less busy. Or if I could just get, we've got a vacation coming up in June. If I could just get to that vacation, then like things will be better. Or I've got a sabbatical coming up. Or I've got a, right, whatever. And we live in a busy world and busyness has become like this weird status symbol. Right? I don't really hear this much at Redemption, but maybe you've met the people where busyness is like this humble brag. Like, how you doing, man? I'm just so busy because I've just got so much to do and so many people are relying on me and I'm just really important. <laughs> but for, I think, all of us, 
we've somehow been formed and taught by like the broader world that our importance and worth are dependent on our busyness. And so we find our worth, our, our like, I don't know, our identity in either like pursuing busyness or just in the fact that we are busy. So y'all know Gabby struggles with some chronic illness stuff. Um, she's on a Facebook message group, which is like the bastion of all good things, right? But this one actually so far, anyways, has been great. Um, and she put a message up there and just said like, right, so part of her illness is she just has these flare-ups where her body attacks itself and her joints are just like on fire and she can't get, in, get out of bed and she's just tired and exhausted and in pain, right? It's not all the time, but when these flare-ups occur, right? So there's like the physical issues, but then on top of the physical issues, there's the actual real emotional weight of, am I even like worthwhile? I'm such a burden to my family, to my spouse and to my daughter, and I'm just not worth anything because I don't do anything. And so she puts on this message board just like, hey, does anyone else feel like a burden? And to her surprise, like the thing lit up and just reply after reply after reply after reply, yes. And all of it was attached to what we can't do. We feel like we should be able to do that. I'm not, I'm not even talking about what you want to do. I wish I could do this, right? That's a whole other conversation. I feel guilt. I feel shame. I feel like a burden because I'm not productive in the ways that I think I ought to be productive. Our busyness has somehow taught us uh, that our worth and value comes down to production. That we've been taught to believe that what I do is who I am. And we saw this very clearly um, in the mouth of like the, the, the philosopher, Napoleon Dynamite, when he said, I just feel like I need a skill. I don't have any skills, bow hunting skills, computer hacking skills. I need some sort of skill. If I had a skill, then the women would like me. I think that's where that was going. If you don't know what Napoleon Dynamite is, um, God bless you. You are probably better off because of it. And even as a teacher, when I taught for eight years, uh, I taught 16 and 17-year-olds. These are 16 and 17-year-olds who had no margin in their lives because it was school and AP classes and clubs and uh, sports clubs and social circles, and it was just go and go and go and go and go. And my God, what are we teaching our kids? And this is like in a Christian school. And then we would grade it all. <laughs> and then we would tell them, hey, you got to do a little bit more because this college needs you to do a little bit more. And, and who are you even if you don't have this AP class or that club or this GPA? And then we grow up and we become young adults that believe that. And then we become adults that believe that. And then we sit here on a Sunday morning and we go, my God, I'm just exhausted. I'm just tired. I can't wait until I get to dot, 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 vacation or the weekend or whatever. 
We bought the good news that the, hus the hustle culture was selling us in the pursuit of happiness by doing more. Maybe I'll be a little bit happier if I could do a little bit more. And if this isn't enough, technology aids our perpetual busyness, right? I carry work around with me in my front pocket. All oh, the joys and delights of modern technology, right? And if, if the pandemic did anything for us, it taught us that working from home is not actually that great because when you work from home, you never literally leave work. And like working from your couch, your couch and your underwear is great, but also that means that your couch has now become your desk and wait, ah, and now you're at the disposal of people 24 seven. And so in our downtime, we check our emails or we respond to texts or we, we're just reachable. One of the hardest parts about being your pastor is I, I carry around like very real guilt and shame about the fact that I'm reachable 24-7, and if someone reaches out to me, like, well, if I don't acknowledge it, they're going to think that, right, whatever, that we just have unprecedented access to one another, which is a, very much a double-edged sword. That can be a beautiful and a good thing but it can also wear us out. And this isn't even adding on top of that the way that our phones have just become sources of distraction. So that even when we're standing in line waiting for a coffee, we no longer just stand there and act like bored or I don't know, I don't even remember what we used to do. <laughs> I'm literally trying to think, like we just stand there? That can't be right. <laughs> Like maybe this is TMI, but I remember like when I was younger, I would sit on the toilet and while I sat on the toilet, I would read a shampoo bottle. Like that was like, well, I'm sitting here, what, I don't know, what's, ah, right? Like what world did we live in? If you're new to Redemption Church, welcome. <laughs> We're glad you're here. <laughs> we are very clearly a safe place for absolutely anyone. Um, yeah, so we have this endless source of work and we have this endless source of distraction. And so right, whether it's TV or our phones or whatever, even in our downtime, we are cramming busyness into our lives because I think if we're being honest, we expect that in the busyness we will find life. Um, there's this phenomenon called uh, ghost ring, I think is what it's called, like when you feel like your phone, and like so psychologists have studied this and they're actually beginning to think that it's the same thing that happens when people's like limbs get cut off. And they, they're like, oh no, no, my hands are, I can feel it. Like th that our minds have begun to be become so attached to our phones that we think that they're like an extension of our physical bodies. How crazy is that? They've done studies with teenagers where they, they will take the teenager and put them in one room and take their phone and put it in another and it actually produces real measurable anxiety in them. So clearly the phones are the devil. They're the, right, that's not, that's not where this is going at all. Walter Brueggemann, uh, one of my favorite Old Testament scholars, puts it this way in his book on Sabbath as resistance, which is now available in the redemption book thing back there. Right? Like these are, take one, read it, bring it back. Please bring it back. Um, um, but it's back there. You can read it. Fantastic, short little read, and it's all about the Sabbath. And he says this, we may consider the Sabbath, right? That is this idea that every week we're going to rest, okay? We'll talk a little bit more about it in a second. We may consider that the Sabbath, 
uh, the Sabbath as an alternative to the endless demands of economic reality. More specifically, the demands of a market ideology that depend on the generations of, a generation of needs and desires that leave us endlessly restless. The system is rigged to leave you wanting more. It's why we buy a new iPhone every year. Right? And I have like, this is, don't hear this as like judgment. I literally have a new iPhone in my pocket, right? Um, like we live in a, in a like uh, economic context that the whole thing is set up for us to be consumers. And the way that we're going to thrive is to get you to buy more. Well, the way I get you to buy more is I need you to think that you need more or want more, right? And so this is the, the current that we have to swim in. In a world of dissatisfaction that teaches us that enough is never enough, he goes on to say, the generation of needs and desires that leave us endlessly restless, inadequate, unfulfilled, and leave us in a pursuit of trying to satiate our desires. And those requirements concern endless predation so that we are a society of 24-7 multitasking in order to achieve, accomplish, perform, and possess. On top of this is a system of commodity that requires that we want more, have more, own more, use more, eat more, and drink more. And his whole point, his whole thesis of his book is when we rest from all of this, from like the whole system, it is a punk rock act of rebellion. It is subversive for ourselves and for our neighbors who don't have to deliver Amazon packages to our house because we chose, right? Um, I'll let you read his book. It's fantastic. But our economy, our life, our, our well-being is all tied to our production and the reliance on our own wanting more. Right? That's, I, I think this is true for me. It's probably true for you. And so I want us all to be asking this question, is your soul satisfied? Like, do you walk in here today just be like, I'm just content, I'm happy, I'm rested, I have everything I could ever want, and anything else is just icing on the cake. We've been convinced that happiness is somehow out there, and we have to go and get it. When Jesus tells us something entirely different. Um, hear this quote from Fast Company Magazine. I'm a subscriber. Just kidding. This is what happens when you give your pastor Google, Okay. So Fast Company Magazine is just a business and technology magazine, right? This is a business and technology magazine that has absolutely nothing to do with spirituality, Christianity, Jesus. Listen to what they say. If we want to enable our innate compassion to come to the surface, we need to overcome busyness. Like a magazine that's like, hey, look, this is really great, beautiful graphic design. It's like, hey, if you want to become a more loving person, busyness is the number one enemy. They go on to say, we need to let go of the value we place on being busy and find ways to be more disciplined and effective with our time. To do so, we need to recognize that busyness is a choice. We then need to manage our time, make people a priority, and value busylessness. 
we were having a conversation. So every Sunday morning, um, our worship team and some of our team leaders gather together and we pray and we are praying for y'all and for just God to show up and meet us and do what God does. And um, we were talking to someone, they were just sharing their week and they said, yeah, it's been like kind of a, a easy week. I haven't had a whole lot to do and I just find myself with like a lot of like spare time and I just feel really lazy. Like, this is the lie, right? This is, if you're not busy, then you are somehow, like, the opposite of that is somehow this evil thing. That if I have margin in my life, I'm somehow not someone important and special and valuable, and I'm just lazy. And in reality, our busyness is suffocating us. Right? There have been tons of studies that have done, like, our busyness is actually affecting our physical health. We haven't even begun to have the conversation about how busyness affects our spiritual life. And time and time and time again, when I sit in our hub groups and I have conversations with many of you, not just like recently, but over the span of the last 10 years, one of the constant things that comes up is I'm really, really busy and it's just really hard for me to find like real spiritual life. I'm really struggling. Let's listen to the words of Jesus because our value and our worth and even our spiritual life is not in what we have done lately. Look at Matthew chapter 11. We're gonna skip to just verse 28. Familiar words, but like drink them in. Come to me. All you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Come to me. Come to me. I will give you rest. Put my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right? We're all carrying some type of yoke. Right? This is why we're so busy. We've put these burdens or this expectation on ourselves that we have to do right, whatever it is, fill in the blank. And this burden is in reality oppressing us. And in the context here, the, the burden would have been like the religious burden that is all of these really detailed and finite things that somehow made you either an insider or an outsider. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Like, take those burdens off and put on my burden and you will find rest. Or it's the burden of the Roman Empire. Like, you have to pay these taxes and pay allegiance and all, right? The enslavement to this empire. But the yoke of, e- of Jesus is easy. And it's light. So I want us to be honest this morning. I think we hear these words of Jesus and we believe them. I really do. I, I don't think there's anyone... Well, maybe you are, and that's fine. But I think most people hear these words and at least are like, oh, I, I kind of want that. Like there's something about that that's like really alluring and uh, I, how do I get that? How do I experience that? I believe that Jesus can give me rest. He seems like the type of person that can give me rest. How do I experience that rest? And so that's what I want us to spend a little bit of time talking about this morning. So last week we talked about wrestling with this question of, hey, what do I want? And if you've spent the last week actually really wrestling with that question, right? If you took 30 seconds to answer the question, your answer might have been like, I don't know, a burrito sounds good. Y'all are like, man, you talk about Chipotle a lot. I do, because I love it. 
But yeah, right, if we take more than 30 seconds, you're like, but why do I want a burrito, why? right? And all of a sudden, it becomes this really painful thing where we realize, like, oh my God, who, haven't, who even am I? And why do I like chicken instead of steak? And then, you know, we start having, like, father issues, and it becomes like a whole thing. When we really dig down deep into, like, wait, what do I want? And we realize that that is a profoundly difficult question to ask. And one of the reasons it's profoundly difficult is because we have to somehow then like confront ourselves and who we actually are versus who we want to be. And we explored this idea of how Jesus is inviting us to find like the, the core of our deepest longings and desires and needs in him. Because all of our desires at some level are just an ache and a longing for the infinite, an ache and a longing for God, a a physical reminder within our own souls that we were meant to commune with God, and somehow that communion has been severed. So Jesus says, what do you want? And then he says, come to me, find rest, and that this is actually really about an invitation. So I don't want you to hear what follows as some sort of like, hey, if you're not doing this, you're a bad Christian, or God somehow loves you less, or if you want to be a super Christian, then do these things. So I want to be very careful here. All of this is an excuse and a reason and a way for us to enter the presence of the one who gives rest. It's nothing more and nothing less. It is an invitation. So with that, you are like on the pins and needles, what is it? What's the secret mantra? Tell us before I get there. <laughs> so a lot of us, um, right, one of the questions that really complicates this for us is that we've grown up in and around certain types of churches. And so you either grew up in some sort of church, I'll use, I don't know, I'll throw out some examples because, hey, we're all about stereotyping here. Okay, thank you for laughing. That wasn't actually serious. Uh, but for the sake of simplicity and time, let me paint with some really broad brushes. We either grew up in like some sort of like Catholic or like high church background where it was, hey, you find spiritual life by showing up and participating in mass. And there's actually something really good and beautiful about that. We can talk about that some other time or come to the theology class and we'll talk about that a little bit. But you're like, wait, I can do this personally on my own in my own time. Uh, that's somehow novel to you, most likely. Or you grew up in like the more evangelicalistic world where it's not about religion, it's about relationship. And here's the religion we use to participate in the religion, right? (laughs) And so what that had somehow turned into was Father, Son, and Holy Bible, right? And the way that we experience God is by opening our Bibles and reading our Bibles and knowing more about our Bibles and learning more about our Bibles. And the more information and data and like junk I knew about the life of David was somehow going to form me into a loving person who loves Jesus more. And so we do our Bible studies and our inductive Bible methods and we do just Bible, Bible, Bible. And before the end of the day, all of a sudden, Bible has somehow become this thing up here that was always meant to point us to the one who's up here and we somehow have gotten confused. So learn more about that. Take the Bible class in the fall. <laughs> and we somehow mistook that spending time with the Bible was the same thing as spending time with the God of the universe. And we're going to do a whole series on, like, 
a series, sorry. We're going we're to do a whole sermon on spending time in the Bible in order to connect with the God of the universe. So please don't hear me saying, hey, you shouldn't spend time in the Bible. My point is, are we confusing the Bible with God? If you grew up in that world like I did, I think sometimes we do. So I need another Bible study. I need another theology course. And none of these are the same thing as being in God's presence. The same way that me knowing facts about Gabby is not the same thing as me and Gabby going on a date night. I don't actually need to go, to spend, like, need to go and spend any time with you and have a conversation with you and just be in your presence. Because look, look at all the information I know about you, right? That's, of course, that's not how we know anyone. And yet, don't we do this? Don't we confuse information with relationship? And so the more I know about God, the closer to God I am. And how well did that work out with a certain group of people in the Bible? Thinking about God is not the same as being in God's presence. Knowing facts about God is not the same as knowing God, experiencing God, enjoying God. So Ruth Haley Barton, uh, she's does a lot of work on like spiritual practices. She wrote a fantastic book called Solitude and Silence. It's where like a bunch of what I'm about to say comes from. Highly recommend it. It'll be back there on the shelf at some point. I'm not done with it yet though. She says it this way. Our God talk is like the finger pointing at the moon. But it's not the moon. Talking about the moon, pointing to the moon, describing and studying the moon is not the same thing as basking in the moon's light. Being with God involves being quiet and just being with God. And so one of the things that, whoops, sorry, one of the things that I'm going to insist on is that part of what it means for us to encounter Jesus means we will need to let go. We will have to genuinely come into the presence of Jesus with actual real empty hands as needy children. Not as like, here's all the things I've done for you, or here's what I can do for you. Here's my worth for you, Jesus. Look how religious I am. Look how righteous I am. Look how interested in social justice I am. Look how awesome I am, Jesus. And so now I can come into your presence with something. Doesn't work that way. And it doesn't work the other way either. I come into Jesus' presence and then produce something for him through lots of words and sounds and eloquent prayers. Listen to Psalm 46. Very familiar psalm for most of us here. Psalm chapter 46, verse 8. Come and behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations he has brought upon the earth. He makes wars end to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, right, the bow. He breaks weapons, he shatters the spear, and he burns the shields with fire. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Right, and so this, uh, this word, to be still, um, some of you have heard it translated as like cease striving. We really like dig into this word a little bit. It is a fascinating word. Um, one of the ways that it, it's like, if it, this is a passive, like reflexive kind of idea, uh, don't worry about that. If it was like super active verb, it would just be like, drop it. But because it's like active, right, we, we translate it the way that we do, but one of the ways that this could be translated is like, just let go. 
which is why we translated it as cease striving. It literally, literally means like loosen up, <laughs> which is great. Unclench, bro. Like, <laughs> it means to wither in the presence of, to sink into, to relax. Relax. And know that I'm God. You're not, right? Let it go. Uh, the, the, the word let go, it's like literally to loosen the hands. Just drop it. What are you clenching so tightly to? What are you trying to white knuckle in your life? Just let it go. And know that I'm God. So I think that we're faced with a choice. We're going to continue to pursue a life that is found out there somewhere, or we are going to be willing to stop and to let go, which is hard to do, right? And I think is a, is a lifetime of following Jesus, right? Some Christian people call this self-denial. Others call it discipline, right? Sometimes these are called the, the spiritual disciplines. And we hear discipline, and we're like, whoa, <laughs> whoa discipline, right? All this is, is saying no to something that maybe we want so that we can say yes to something that we want even more, right? So we used to do this. Uh, I used to own a gym. I know it's really surprising. Um, and there's a saying in like the workout world, if you're in the workout world, it's, it's, hey, you want abs? Abs are made in the kitchen. And clearly I'm an expert. So <laughs> you're supposed to laugh harder at that. <laughs> Like, oh, <laughs> right? The idea is you can do sit-ups all day long. This is free for you. Free uh, workout advice for all of you out there who wanted it today. Um, like, you can do sit-ups all day long. You do a thousand sit-ups a day. It doesn't matter if all you're eating is donuts. Abs are made in the kitchen. Where in the world was I going with this? I don't know. Oh yeah, letting go. Right. So one of the things that that like we constantly had to retrain people on is, hey, look, you have this desire to lose weight, and it's motivated by a number of things. Like I've got to get into a wedding dress, or like I want to be healthy for my kids, or my doctor said you lose weight, you're going to die. Like whatever it is, there's some sort of motivation there. You want to lose weight. Do you want to lose weight more than you want the Snickers bar? Like, it's literally as simple a question as that. And I know it actually gets really complicated because, like, but I really do want the Snickers bar. And there's like chemical reactions in my body now. And I don't, like, this is all discipline is, is learning to say no to something that you want that may be good for you, may be bad for you, may be just completely indifferent. But saying no to something that you want so that you can have something better. And if our problem is busyness, it means we're going to have to let go of something if we want to spend time with Jesus. That if we're stuck in this rat race of production, something has to give. And letting go reminds us that we're needy. It reminds us that we're limited. It reminds us that we are not God. And so one of the ways that we can let go is in silence and solitude. I'm going to give you two big ones today. Um, One is silence and solitude, like real practical, like, hey, what am I going to go and do now, okay? Uh, The other one is Sabbath. There's a third one that is actually kind of like built into these, which is simplicity, which is the idea of like, hey, I just don't need another shirt. I've got like 10 shirts. 
Uh, it's another conversation for another day on how many shirts I do or don't have. So letting go in, in silence and solitude, part of letting go will mean that giving up time and space to be with Jesus. And so Jesus models and teaches us to do just this. If we're busy people, then we are going to have to create margin in our lives to be with Jesus, like something on our calendar, on our schedule, on like our tangible existence and time and space has to change. Otherwise, it won't happen. And at the top of our priority list of like things that we ought to be giving our time and attention and affection to, I will strongly, as your pastor, make the case that Jesus needs to be at the top of that list. Like, not just because it's like the right thing to do, because it's good for your soul. It will actually speak to the ache and the longing that you have inside of you. And so how do I actually do that? Um, One, just so you all know, I'm not just making stuff up. The church models this really, really well, but Jesus models this. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, in the morning, while it was still very dark, Jesus got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he spent time praying. Like Jesus, God, needed to go away into a deserted place and pray. If Jesus needed to do this, I think I need to do it too. Like, I don't think Jesus is just saying, like, hey, I'm going to do this as, like, a good example kind of situation. I think he's doing it as, like, this is what it means to be a flourishing and holistic human. You want to be a flourishing, holistic human? Steal away and pray. He then teaches his disciples to do the same thing. Later in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 35, the apostles gathered around Jesus after, like, going out and laboring in really good work, they gather around Jesus and told him all they had done and taught, and he said to them, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure to even eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. And all my introverts said, amen, right? Don't worry, we're talking about community later. Your sermon's coming, don't worry. But this idea, this model of withdrawing into solitude and silence, creating margin and space to not perform for God, but just to be with God, to sit in God's presence, seeking quiet and still so that we can experience the quiet and still presence of God. So there's this story in the Old Testament of Elijah. He's like gone to battle with these pagan prophets. And like this comes down to where they're like doing this crazy thing on top of a hill. And Elijah wins and then calls down fire and the fire devours. It's like this Old Testament biblical scene. And Elijah's now fleeing for his life because the queen of Israel is like, yeah, I'm going to kill you now because you killed all my prophets. You, you gots to die. So Elijah's running, he goes and finds himself in a cave, and he sits there, and he's just exhausted, and he's depressed, and he cries out to God, and is like, I'm the only one left. There's none. It's just me. Right? And there's, in this scene, God speaks to Elijah, right? Not in this thundercloud, not in this, uh, I don't remember what the other one was, fire. But he speaks to Elijah in this still, quiet. 
so throughout Christian history, there's been this phrase, like God is not in the hurricane, he's not in the fire, he's not in the tornado, he's not in the flood, he's in the still, quiet. So where certain Christian traditions have, have come to equate being with God as a quiet time, or as a time in the desert, or a time of solitude. But doing this, being with a God who is still and who is quiet, begins to still and quiet our own souls. Begins to form us into the type of people that walk into a room regardless of what's going on. And we can be secure in who we are because of who God has told us that we are, not because of what we've done or what's been done to us. Um, Dan Allender, who is a a researcher, for those who've gone through trauma, he's a Christian, he says it this way, our spiritual journey must lead through the desert or or else our healing will be the product of our own will and wisdom. It's in the silent of the desert that we hear our dependence on noise. It's in the poverty of the desert that we see clearly our attachments to the trinkets and baubles we cling to for security and for pleasure, and I would add, for distraction. The desert shatters the soul's arrogance and leaves body and soul crying out in thirst and hunger, and in the desert we trust God or die. This is what Jesus does at the beginning of his ministry. He goes out into the desert, and he says no, and he lets go of a lot of things. He's does several things, but he depends on God. So, okay, so what does this look like practically? Um, There's no, like, right or wrong here, but in general, this is finding time in your calendar, I would argue daily, creating space, creating margin to actually and really sit in silence. Like, real, uncomfortable, boring (laughs) silence. And not in a way that like it's somehow like we're clearing our mind of every single thing ever, but no, no, no. We're clearing our mind of all of the distractions and needs and all that, but we're sitting in the presence of God so that God becomes our focus. I used this illustration before. It is like the difference between my daughter coming to me and asking me for something, which she does all the time, by the way, lots. And that's a good thing. And we should do that with God. But I also want her to come and just sit in my lap and just be. Just be in the presence of her father, just be held by her father. Like, this is a good relational thing, and God God invites us to do this. And so we sit in silence, and if you've never done this before, this is gonna be super weird, and it's gonna be really hard, and that's okay. Just, like, make it your goal, like, I'm gonna start with two minutes. And that's gonna sound like, two minutes, I can do two minutes. (laughs) Yeah, Uh uh-huh, yeah, just try it and see. You'll, You'll take a few, and then, like, as the weeks go, you can expand it. But just take a couple minutes and just take a couple deep breaths. You're not reading something. You're not listening to something. You're not learning something. You're not asking for anything. You're just sitting in the presence of God. Just take a breath. And then breathe out. Just sit in the presence of a God who loves you and accepts you and enjoys you is remaking you by his own power and his own will and not through your efforts. And what will begin to happen is a bunch of thoughts will almost immediately begin to race into your head. 
And at first, it will be like, oh my gosh, I didn't do the dishes, and the dishes are there, and oh, I need to like, email Susan back, because Susan emailed me, and she, right, and just each, each opportunity of distraction is an opportunity to just return back to God, and so just know that that's normal, that will happen, you're not broken, you're just a human being. But then like, when we begin to extend this, and you get to like five minutes and 10 minutes, what begins to happen is those like, distractions all of a sudden become us like, confronting ourselves, and some like deeper and maybe darker stuff comes up, and this can be hard. And so we have to navigate through some of the internal noise. You will most likely feel, uh, right, not all of these things, but something along the spectrum, anywhere from like anxiety, like, oh my gosh, I need to get up and do something. To like ADHD, like a uh, uh, squirrel, right? To distraction, just a need for like, uh, stimulation, and, uh, I just need to scroll, or I need to like read, or I need to like, put something in my hands, just sit with it for a minute. You'll experience boredom. You're like, this is, this is a waste of time. What am I doing here? It's kind of the point. <laughs> it's incredibly inefficient. It's incredibly unproductive. That's kind of the point. <laughs> Our mind is restless and trying to fix things, control things, figure things out, solve things, and our mind will almost certainly anxiously flail about in these moments of silence. Sit with it, and over time, God will begin to help you deal with it. And we'll begin to rest instead of acting. We'll begin to rest in a deep sense of security, love, mission, and purpose. Okay, so um, let me wrap this up because I have one other one. So letting go, resting in like a daily rhythm. This is probably the most, like if you're going to start anywhere, I would start here. Create some time and space to be with God every day. Uh, Part of that can be like actively praying. Um, There's several mantras you could pray. The Jesus prayer is one. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. Jesus, Son of God mercy on me, I'm a sinner. You can sit in the weight of that prayer. You can open up a psalm. Um, I do this almost every morning. Open up, a, open up a psalm, read a couple of verses, and pray through those verses, whatever they are. Like, man, I don't know who my enemies are, but they are in trouble. <laughs> you can read a chapter of the Bible, right? We'll talk about what to do with Scripture here in a couple weeks. But one of the things I would invite us all to do is just sit and just be in the presence of God. Okay. Second big way we can let go is in Sabbath. Um, And I won't spend a ton of time on this. There's a number of ways that this can go. I want none of them to be like some form of religious like expectation. But can we just agree that you and I need like real deep, meaningful rest. Can we also just agree that that's not gonna happen on accident? You're not gonna wake up and trip into rest. Like, I don't know, it was just like a really restful day. It just happened, it was crazy. Um, And there's a whole conversation we could have about Sabbath. We could do a whole series on Sabbath. We won't, not this time anyways. But Walter Brueggemann in his description of Sabbath goes on to say this. 
that Sabbath is a visible insistence that our lives are not defined by the production and consumption of commodity goods. Sitting with that question, what do I want, who am I, what's important to me can help you direct, like, what do I do on a Sabbath? What does it really look like for me, me to rest? And I think sometimes we, we like, uh, confuse Sabbath with vacation. Going on a cruise is not necessarily Sabbath. A lot of fun. Go on a cruise. I love cruises. They're great. I've never actually been on a cruise. I don't know why I'm saying that. I don't know that I love cruises. Like, I feel like cruises significantly contributed to the pandemic. I don't, um, anyways, maybe you're a cruise person. But like Sabbath is actually real rest. What does that mean for you? So for me, one of the things, and this is like a new thing for me. I'm not like, well, I'm an expert on this. This is all stuff that I am currently present day, like as of like even yesterday, I'm wrestling through like, what does this actually need to look like for me? And, and two really simple ways to think about this is, is it restorative to my soul and is it worshipful? Is this really like restorative for me? So I'll give you an example for me. Me sitting there and scrolling through Instagram for 20 minutes is not restorative to my soul. Right? And I'm not, I'm not, that's not a judgment on scrolling through Instagram for 20 minutes. Um, I actually scrolled through Instagram yesterday on my quote-unquote Sabbath. So this is not like, hey, you can't open and then God's mad at you. This is not that. However, I know myself well enough that if I'm not intentional about what I'm doing with Instagram on my so-called Sabbath, I will, 20 minutes will go by and I'll be like, wait, what did I even just do? What, uh, it's not restorative. It's not worshipful. And so instead, I pick up a book. A book that I'm like, I want to read this. Not a book that I'm like, well, I've got to read this, right? Some of you are like, I'm going to get my biology book. Like, no, 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 no. You're, you're now just studying, Okay. But what do we need to let go of? What do we need to take rest from? And so here's how it works for us. This is going to be really weird for y'all. That's okay. You don't have to do this. I'm just giving you a visual, like, representation. So on Friday night, um, around dinner time, because we have a two-year-old, which is like four (laughs) o'clock. We are super weird people, I promise. Um, We will sit down. We'll eat dinner. Most of the time, we eat dinner together. Sometimes we'll eat dinner with Zoe, like, pretend to eat dinner with Zoe, but then really me and Gabby have like a date night dinner planned later in the evening, but we will we'll light a Sabbath candle, um, we will say some sort of Sabbath prayer together, and then we'll enter into uh, what's really like a day and a half, but we'll call it a 24-hour period of like real rest. And for me, that means we're not, we're not scheduling any appointments. So those of you that are like, hey, I've got Saturday free, and he, he, I've said, no, I've got something going on. Now you know what it was. Um, we, we try to not just fill it with emptiness. We try to fill it with like meaningful things. We try to be intentional about it. We are still a work in progress. And then at the end, on, uh, last night, um, we blew out the candle and we thank God for the gifts that we have in his presence and we get ready to go into a Sunday, which for me is a Monday, right? Sundays are great. They're beautiful. They're worshipful. But they're also like your Mondays probably. They're busy. They're filled. So things to do on a Sabbath. Is it restorative? Is it worshipful? So reading, nothing, nature, prayer, play, relationships, enjoying. Think, if this was Christmas Day, what would I be doing? Feasting, right? These sorts of things. And all of a sudden, you're like, yeah, I can get into a Sabbath. I can do this. 
that's the invitation. There's lots of literature on like ways that you can do this. Begin to think about, I don't know, what, what might that look like for me? And a Sabbath is a good weekly reminder that we are not God. At, at the end of the day, our value and our identity is not out there. Our contentment, our joy, and our delight is going to be found in the presence of Jesus. So will we enter his presence? Will we enjoy him? Will we really find rest in him? Cease striving. Stop. Let go. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com. And please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.